Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. So it's not a sin in your church to have an abortion? That's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story, where you're from. God's the judge. People have to live to their own conviction. The science is clear. The Bible is clear. And if we're honest, our intuitions are clear. We know what we're killing. We're killing a human being. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Cool! One more thing for us to divide over. This is Wretched Radio. If and you thought critical race theory was bad and it is. There is another storm a brewing, and it is starting to come over the horizon, and it is making its way inside of good Bible-believing churches that I believe, I'm no prophet, but I believe it has the potential to be at least as fracturous. Is that a word? It can break us up just as much as CRT did. Now, you will notice that there is actually a connection between CRT and the subject matter that we must discuss in a particular way. We're talking about the realm of government and how we engage, how we speak to, and what our expectations should be of a secular government. You say, what's the connection to CRT? Well, I think CRT has been so damaging, it is causing us to re-reflect on the role between church and state. But I think the connection is its ability to divide like a nobody's business. Hasn't CRT done that? Hasn't CRT been successful, not just culturally in dividing us, but inside of the church? We have people who have left churches, who have joined churches, who have moved. They have changed relationships and the unity that once existed. It's been smashed because of a difference of understanding on CRT. And I believe that as we begin discussing government and church, it has the potential to be just as divisive. I think that this could cause as much division inside of the church as CRT, and that's saying a lot. Why do I think that? Because government, it is such a visceral subject, isn't it? When you talk politics, don't you get a little bit <laughs> that when you meet somebody and they are not on the same page as you, there's just something inside. Or you see your government doing another wicked, evil, terrible piece of policy that is just bad for human flourishing. And Well, now we are discussing the subject of how the church should interact, speak to, and expect our government to behave. And it could cause more explosions. And it's interesting to me. That the connection also between CRT and how we understand government is that these are both social issues. And we are seeing people divide not over specific theological issues per se. There's some in there, but over the way that we assess society, the way that we look at culture, the way that we understand the role of government. Those are all outside of the church that have they're they're knocking on the door to be certain but they 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 are they are social issues. I, I, okay, maybe this is a little extraordinary. But football is is that a church issue? No, it's it's not. But imagine. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this bad analogy horse. Imagine that football made its way into your church to the degree where that it's causing separation and clicks inside of the body. Because you, for instance, you thought the Minnesota Vikings were going to pull it out in the fourth quarter. And then you've got those of us who are like, you don't know the history of the Minnesota Vikings. Nobody can snatch defeat out of the mouth of victory quite like the Minnesota Vikings. And imagine we started splitting over it. You'd go, whoa, brothers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about football here. And I would suggest while I understand the importance of it, and while I am not willing to cede any ground theologically, and or frankly, to exit the political arena and not speak there, 
What I am suggesting is we can't let this issue cause us to divide even more because it's coming. I see it. I hear it. And we discuss politics at a level that can be so personal that it causes division. Now, please note again, there are those who seem to be thrilled that Christianity is abating in this country. Russell Moore is one of those fellows. Almost seems glad that Christianity doesn't have the influence in society that it once does. I'm not glad at all. It is a great loss to our country, and frankly, it's not an overstatement to the globe because of all of the good, that's right, the good that America has done. I'm not excited about our culture and our even our government changing, but I am pleading with all of us to work through this cultural shift, this government rearrangement, our understanding of church and state in a way that doesn't cause us to hate one another. Jimmy, when you talk politics with somebody, you're going to represent tens and tens of people right now. Okay. And there's a there's a disagreement on something. You yeah. you pick whatever the issue is. Your guts. How do you, how do you tend to feel about somebody who disagrees with your polity? Yeah, yeah, and whether you voice it or not, you instantly get There's ups, there's yeah. it, it it me too. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I feel this too. <laughs> that is why, as we begin taking a look at the Christian and politics, we need to do this with a recognition we're debating something that isn't, it is theological. I get it because everything is theological to a degree, but we're not talking about an essentialist issue here. Let's just say, for instance, Jimmy, what's your favorite form of government? My favorite form of government. Is it American representative republic? Is it a fascism? Uh, I, I would just say less. Less government. Right. Okay. All right. Less government, you say. Now, let's just say I said, no, I think more is better. I mean, as long as those people who are leading are just, even if it's a king, then fine. As long as they're doing good. All right. You and I now have a fundamental disagreement. Mm -hmm. I hate you. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, but that's, that's what happens. Yeah. This is, this is what happens where we see these issues that are not bullseye, essential theological issues. Now, could I make the case for a smaller government? I'd rather take Jimmy's position than mine. Yes, I could make that case. But is it even a secondary issue? Is it even a tertiary issue? I tell you, I don't think so. I, I don't know what the word would be for fourth level issue, but I think this is. Government structure, government organization. Can you think outside of the Old Testament, which some of us have unhitched a while ago anyway, so not a biggie, but the New Testament. Can you think of a verse that instructs government how it should be organized, how it should be structured, and, and how it should be accountable to God, which it is, we've always understood that, but does that indicate that we, therefore, should have some sort of theological governance organization? Because that's, that's what we're debating these days. And I struggle to see any verses in the New Testament say, this is, it. This is the best form of government right here. Now, if you are going to make an argument for the best form of government, I mean, if you're going to, you would have to say monarchy, because first of all, God is the sovereign monarch. And we see that one day when he comes to take his own and to establish his kingdom, he's going to be the king who reigns forever and ever. Not going to have councils, not going to have boats, just going to make the decision because everything he does is just and right. So we see that God is a king. He's going to reign as a king. So we should do our best to imitate that. Or we see the monarchy in the Old Testament with the Davidic line, with the kings of Israel. Therefore, we should have a king in America. You, you could try to make that case, 
from the Old Testament, from understanding how God is going to reign, but you don't see specifics laid out, do you? And do and you see conversations happening that define for us our understanding of what our expectations of the government should be? I think there's some that we should expect them to punish the bad guys, and we should expect them to promote good. What does that look like? That's what we're debating right now. What it looks like. I think we all agree, yes, we want the government to be godly. That's why we pray for rulers, because we too used to be boneheads. Isn't that what Titus 3 tells? Pray for all of them, because you used to be terrible too. You were unregenerated too. Of course we want godly rulers. But what is the relationship? What does that look like? How do we speak to These are important issues. They're visceral issues. They are very current issues. And because of the lack of specificity in the New Testament, it's a very divisive issue. Let's see if we can continue discussing it without fracturing. Next on Wretched Radio. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send? How many seminaries you might support overseas? To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. So did you catch it or did you miss it? Because if you missed it, you still have an opportunity to catch it. I'm talking about the Transform podcast with Dr. Greg Gifford, which made its debut this past Saturday on all podcast platforms. And every week, Dr. Gifford will tackle a new topic and he will get pretty in-depth with his explanation. It's Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, available on all podcast platforms. And it's only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. If you're already a gospel partner, we do humbly thank you for giving us the ability to produce resources like Transformed and the Transformed Podcast. If you're not a gospel partner already, would you please prayerfully consider becoming one? Head on over to wretched.org donate and you can find answers to any question you could possibly ever have about becoming a gospel partner. That's wretched.org donate. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Know your church fathers. Athenagoras was a Christian philosopher in Athens who used his training to defend the Christian faith against Roman persecution. He wrote on the resurrection of the dead, arguing that the nature of God, the nature of humanity, and the concept of justice only make sense if there is a physical resurrection. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Do we agree that Christ is sovereign over all? Yes. Do we agree on what that looks like? Nope. 
This is Wretched Radio. You and I would agree that there is not a rogue molecule in the universe. The question is, how does that play itself out in our little world? How do we look at other institutions, not the church, and think through how they are supposed to be living in light of the fact that God is indeed sovereign over every single realm? Here are some of those realms. Business, family, education, Hollywood, government. If Jesus is sovereign over all, and he is, how should the church view those institutions? What should our expectation be of those organizations that are a part of our society that basically control the way that we live? That's that is the question that is up for grabs at the moment. And we are seeing shadings of what that looks like. And my plea, my encouragement is, yo, brothers, sisters, (laughs) we are starting to talk about this subject at a level that our forefathers did consider. I'm not talking about the founding fathers. I'm talking about the magisterial reformers. I'm talking about old dead guys who really put some time and thought into Christian polity. How do how do what is our what is our theology of politics and government? I'm not talking about ecclesiastical polity. I'm talking about how do we think that the government should be running? And if Jesus is sovereign over all, isn't the natural conclusion that he's sovereign over government? And we would all say, amen. The question is, what does that look like? How does it play itself out? What then becomes the role of government? And you are seeing today Christians that you love, Christians that you esteem, they're talking about it. And they are maybe introducing subjects where you're like, Huh, never thought about that before, which is instructive because we really haven't thought about it before. I'm sure there are some evangelicals with a lot of gray matter who have spent a considerable amount of time the last several decades thinking through the relationship between church and state. But overall, most of us haven't. Why are we doing so today? I think there are a number of factors. I think it started in 2015 as if Roe v. Wade weren't bad enough. In 1973, in 2015, we see the redefining of marriage. And then you see COVID hit. Tell me, tell me you didn't get into at least one debate over the COVID subject. You probably still have a response to somebody in the marketplace when you see them wearing a mask. We, who, who, and the government with the overreach, don't like it. And now, with the current administration doing wicked things, do you know, I think the number was 220 Congress people voted against protecting the lives of babies who were aborted alive. 220 voted to, nope, just let them die on a tray. We don't have to intervene. Let them go because, oh, they come up with some ridiculous sort of justification for why they should let babies die. In fact, here they are right here. This is so disgusting. Uh, A vote of uh, 210. I'm sorry. The vote was 220 to 210 to actually protect babies who survive abortion. This is from, oh, here's a shocker, a Democrat from California. We all know what this is about. There was a piece of legislation that said, hey, in these states where they do abortion, when a baby survives, and it does happen, um, shouldn't we intervene and, you know, try to keep that human being outside of the mother's body alive? We all know what this is about. It's not about the protection of newborn children. Yeah, actually, I, I think it is. It's about control. It's about the nationwide abortion ban that Republicans have been itching to enact since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. <laughs> This is the House Minority Leader, Shocker, a Democrat from New York, accused Republicans of bringing up the bill 
as part of your march to criminalize abortion care to impose a nationwide ban to set into motion government mandated pregnancies. Therefore, we're not going to vote for the legislation. We're going to let those little ones die. Oh, oh, here's a oh, I can't believe it. Another Democrat from Oregon cast the bill as an attempt to ban abortion and said it is it is extremist, dangerous and unnecessary. Don't you love the inverted reality world that we live in? <laughs> if you want a human being to be rescued and not just die because, you know, we kind of understood for a long time that babies need care, then you are extremist and dangerous. You're extreme and dangerous because you want to protect the lives of... Oh, oh, it just kind of kind of gets your goat, doesn't it? All right. How's about this one? Here's another reason for us to be furious at what is going on. And actually, it might just provide us a little bit of a segue to the subject matter. This is Representative Hillary Shulton. She's from Michigan. Her husband is a professor at Calvin University. Now, certainly there can be division over the definition of reform, but that is a reformed university. Here she is on the floor of the House, mangling a verse that we always understood to be one that's pro-life. Listen to this woman. This is going to twist you into a knot, which is the reason that we're actually discussing these issues today. Madam Speaker, I rise today in support of parental and maternal rights and in opposition to H.R. 26. I'm the first mother in history to represent West Michigan in Congress. Yeah. So she's a woman. You're not. She has kids. You haven't given birth to a child. Zip it. This matter is deeply personal to me. I recently shared publicly about my own experience navigating a complex miscarriage and the loss of my daughter. As a pro-choice Christian who oh, chose life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pro-choice Christian. Oxymoron for 500, Alex? This issue is so personal to me. My faith informs my actions, but it doesn't dictate the policy of an entire nation. There it is. That, hey, I've got these beliefs, but I don't actually use them at my job. This is dualism at its finest, as if this individual who is supposedly a reformed Christian who believes it's okay to let babies languish on a tray after a failed abortion, which is a successful operation, actually. She is using her faith to say, I'm personally opposed to it, but I don't bring that into the halls of Congress. Joe Biden has been doing that, and it causes us to be downright furious. And I think there's plenty of reason to be righteously indignate, in, indignant over Using religion or putting religion on a shelf to not let it enforce. So here's the question. This is a reformed Christian woman. We are having a debate on how she should be using her Christianity to vote. Now, you say, well, she should be using her Christianity to vote. And I say, well, I agree. But what kind of Christianity? What kind of theology does she bring to the party and that is the problem, in my opinion, of expecting the government to act Christianly in all regards. Because even if you have a majority of Christians, what you're going to have is a divergence of beliefs. Over 80% of the current Congress claims to be Christian. Did you know that? It's like 82, 84%. By the way, 13 of them claim to be gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Can't wait for one of them to try to change their genders. So we have a majority Christian Congress, and yet we, we feel their wicked decisions. What does that tell us? Well, there's going to be debate over that. Well, we need better Christians in there. No argument from me. But what is our expectation? How do we try to implement that? Is it by insisting? Is it by rebelling? Is it by revolting? Is it by revolution? And there are some now 
in Christian circles, in conservative Christian circles that are actually saying to those latter questions, yeah, bloody revolution is justifiable. Okay, this is worthy of our attention now. This is subject matter that is important. But what we need to remember as we engage in a massively large conversation, we don't even have agreed upon definitions of terms like Christian nationalism. We don't even have agreed definitions for theonomy or theocracy. We haven't spent a whole lot of time studying this issue compared to our forefathers. And yet we are being thrust into a dialogue and people are now saying this is the way that it should be. And I'm saying Let's do this. Let's have this conversation. We ought to. We can. But let's leave our guts at the door. And let's bring our Bible and our good hermeneutics to figure out the role of church and state. We're going to need to do it or we are going to be so divided. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. A left-wing study that was conducted in the Netherlands has attempted to dismiss people who regret their attempts to transition to the opposite sex by claiming that they do so because of internalized transphobia. So they transition, but then they change their mind, so they have to be transphobic. There's no other explanation, because obviously no one would ever regret permanently mutilating their body. The administration of Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida notified pharmacies in the state last week that selling abortion drugs is a violation of Florida law. The Florida Agency of Healthcare Administration, which regulates the state medical policy, sent a letter to Florida pharmacies last week informing them that they cannot distribute abortion pills, stating that to do so would violate pre-existing state law. Florida is just one of 18 states that had laws like this on the books. And now comments from the brand new owner of the Miss Universe pageant. The Miss Universe organization from now on is going to be ran by women, owned by a trans woman for all women. And if you couldn't understand through the accent, the new owner of the Miss Universe pageant just said, from now on, the pageant will be ran by women. But this guy is a biological male. Well, a video has gone viral showing security guards at the Mall of America in Minneapolis telling a man wearing a shirt that says Jesus is the only way to remove his shirt or leave the mall. The male security guard said Jesus is associated with religion and it's offending people. The man wearing the shirt said, quote, it's not religion, it's about eternal life. And the guard said, okay, but it's the same thing. People have been offended. Yeah, well, you know, the gospel and Jesus are offensive. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 385 AD. In Milan, Bishop Ambrose defies the Empress. This event helped to establish the precedent of the church confronting the state when necessary to protect Christian teaching and oppose injustice and corruption in government. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Excuse me if I could if I could just have a moment here. This is Wretched Radio. <laughs> Jimmy? Yes. During the break, you said, I think what you, Todd, said is the key. Uh yeah, you, you No, no, no. Oh, oh I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. just wanna <laughs> I just wanna drink that in for a moment. Because you just said that I had the key to something. <laughs> okay, here's a question for you. Okay. Have either you or Mrs. Hicks ever said, excuse me, did you just say I'm right? Huh? Either one of you ever say that to the other? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. But nevertheless, it's an interesting insight into your world. All right, what was the, What do you think was the key to this whole political conversation? The last thing that you said was uh, getting your hermeneutic straight. Uh, that was the basically what you just said at the end of that segment. And then that's that's the key to the whole thing, because I don't think any of the 80 percent of people in Congress who claim to be Christian actually have even heard the word hermeneutic. Which is why we've got 80 some percent of the Congress and Senate proclaiming to be Christian. And yet we've got 210 of them. I'm not good at math, but that does violate the 80 some percent rule. 210 of them voting to let a baby die after a failed abortion? 
Well, they're Christians. So here's here's where I see a practical challenge. I'm not talking about how the Bible leads us to understand the role of Christianity and government. How do we sort through it? What do we expect from them? And incidentally, I think that too is a key word. What is our expectation of government? Because I want politicians to make godly decisions. That's what I want. And the people who are more inclined to make godly decisions are genuine, born-again Christians. They will make more godly decisions, which will promote more human flourishing. Now, how do I then go about the business of voting? Or what should be my attitude toward those who are currently in power who are not born-again Christians? What is my expectation? I think that is one of the key words that is being bandied about these days. And when we take a look at the the fine line of, I would like people in power to vote Christianly versus I want people in power to use their Christian faith to inform their voting versus I expect people who are in power to vote like a born-again Christian, even if they're not. I think, I could be wrong on this, but I think that's, that's the crux of the current debate. How do we think through the people who are currently in Washington, D.C. or at your state house using their faith or lack thereof to vote and to rule and to lead? And furthermore, how do we respond to that government when we do not believe that they are behaving the way we think that they should behave? That's that's how fine I think this discussion is. And if you want to go see what I'm talking about, go to Twitterland. Go watch some videos where Christian nationalism, theonomy, theocracy is being debated. You'll, you'll read some zesty comments. Very, I did see some. I saw some polite, Christian-like interactions, but a lot of it is very forceful, very animated, very visceral. And we're talking about something pretty fine here, in my opinion, uh, because I don't, I don't, if we're having a, a new conversation about our understanding of the jurisdictional realm of government versus church, the interaction thereof, how it is that the government is under the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ, because historically we've understood it. Well, of course, they are accountable to God. Of course they are. Just like people who make crummy movies in Hollywood are accountable to God. But the new conversation that is having that we're having is because they are accountable to God, we, the church, need to hold their feet to the fire. And some not all. Some are going further. If they don't, then we have the right and duty to resist them. Some even go so far to say, and if that means bearing arms, yeah, this is the conversation that we're having. I, I don't think we're having it well yet, but I don't think we're very far down the road yet. <laughs> this is going to play out for months and months. And when somebody watches a video on a on a position that's maybe slightly different than the one that evangelicals have held on to for like the last 70 years that's going to come into the church and it is going to be discussed before church service after church in the hallways over donuts and it is going to pastor i think be another potential issue for you that could be problematic and my desire, which is the reason that I'm beating this horse to pieces, is that let's do it. Let's do this conversation, y'all. Oh, man. If we don't, if you, here, let me, let me just suggest this rule. If you hear somebody who's having a debate over what Christian nationalism is, theonomy, theocracy, government, church, state, etc., and it's strident, you should find another source. Just go listen to somebody, maybe who even holds the same position. But if somebody is being acrimonious, 
And if somebody is intentionally dividing over this, ah, you don't see it exactly the way that we do. You're no longer in our camp. Look out. You should run in the opposite direction. Even if that person, and I suspect they are, they're genuinely born again, but it's, it is a tone that is not, oh, I'm going to say it, winsome. Now, I, I realize the problem with winsomeness these days and that it has a tendency to coddle left and punch right. We want to be nice about these issues so that liberal people don't feel bad. And you conservatives. You really need to knock it off. I'm being winsome here. But we nevertheless need a great deal of humility in this subject. What are the implications of, of, of the relationship between church and state? Where does this go? What does this look like? When do we decide that resisting and revolting is appropriate? When do we make those decisions? I haven't even heard those issues, for the most part, with the exception of one book, I haven't even heard those issues being discussed yet. That's because we are at the very genesis. I just thought I'd throw in a biblical reference at the very genesis of this conversation. And and we should expect that it's going to be going on for a bit. And we should also be on the alert for the division that it is going to cause. I'm telling you. If we don't do this better than the pagans do, uh, uh, uh. so Jimmy, you said that the key to this understanding is one one of the problems that some of us see with our expectation being that Christians should be in power because we're the better thinkers. I agree. Yes. That they should be in power. And we should expect them to vote Christianly. Okay, well, you've got Representative Hillary Shulton. Her husband is a prophet, Calvin University, and she calls herself a pro-choice Christian. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Or did she say she's a pro-life Christian? Yeah, she said she was a uh, a pro-choice Christian. Yeah, (laughs) pro-choice. Using Jeremiah 1.5, which seriously... If you want to go take a look at the Bible verse for a lot of pregnancy center, crisis pregnancy centers, it's Jeremiah 1.5. And yet she uses it to go, phew. So now this is a fair question. I'm not taking a poke. This is a fair question. You've got a woman in there who calls herself a reformed Christian who is voting to let babies die after a failed abortion. What do we do with her? What, what do we do with the other 209 who voted likewise, and the vast majority of which would claim to be a Christian? What, what, what is the theological litmus test for our politicians? Do we want them to be Christian? Yes. Do we want them going to a Bible-teaching church? Yes, we do. That's better. Do we mandate that? Do we insist on that? Do we say that is the way that it must or ought to be? There's two more words. Is it a must or is it an ought? You would prefer that everybody like I in Congress were born again and they actually read and believed their Bible and knew how to interpret it. But is that the way it ought to be? Do do, do we as the church have the right to speak into the government realm or even enter into the government realm and say, no, you need to be doing this Christianly. You need to be holding councils. You need to be punishing blasphemy. You need to be dealing with heretics, even to the point of execution. Which, which, which is it? You no doubt are responding to virtually everything I say. Well, I think it should, and well, well, wait, it should be, and and I'm doing it, and Jimmy's doing it, and everybody's doing it right now because we are in the nascent stage of this conversation of church and state. And while we might think that we have the key, we better hold it with humility. That's right, that rhymed. This is Wretched Radio. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania 
has 106 votes. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home, parents get saved, and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa, would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you for joining us on Wretched Radio today. Did you know we are so close to the launch of Season 3 of Road Trip to Truth? That's right, Season 3 will be released November 1st. Be ready. It's an all-new season with host John Fabarius tackling gender issues, justice, bumper sticker philosophy, how technology affects the brain, and a lot of other topics. With experts Nate Pickowitz, Alan Parr, Dr. Paul Twist, Dr. Jason Lyle, and others. And it would not be possible without the help and support of our gospel partners. If you're already a gospel partner, of course, we want to thank you and joining our efforts to reach the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not already a gospel partner, could we ask you to pray about it? And also visit wretched.org donate to get answers to any question you might have about being a gospel partner. Wretched.org donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. <laughs> Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Books of the Bible The book of Ruth tells of a Moabite widow who chose to follow the God of Israel and found favor in the eyes of a godly man named Boaz who claimed her family's land as her kinsman redeemer. Ruth and Boaz are the ancestors of Jesus and a foreshadowing of Jesus' work as our kinsman redeemer. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to the Jimmy Hicks program, formerly known as Wretched Radio. Uh-huh. And has a bit of a ring to it. Uh, you like it, do you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to, Han- and here's your host, handsome Jimmy Hicks. Take it away, Jimmy. <laughs> you good. got, you just, good timing. You want to respond to what I'm saying, but you wait for the break. Well, Not helpful, mister. All right. So what were you saying during the break about the understanding of the expectation that we should have of politicians who are in power? So I, I don't have the expectation that everyone in Congress should be a Christian. I mean, I, I don't. Okay. Now, just hold that thought. There are people today who are saying, yes, they should. Well, I mean, I, I would like for them to be. but. I mean, I don't think the world is or the. All right. But the expectation of some is no, they must be. Now, that's a dip. Just consider what we're discussing here and don't lose your train of thought. Don't let it leave the station. But just think about what we're the 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 intricacies of all of this, what we expect from politicians Okay, that's that's the question that I think is on the table. What is our expectation of government? And we are going to divide over that. And we are going to start, get ready for, for, for the labeling. If you don't adhere to my understanding, bah, liberal, or you don't agree with my understanding, well, you're right-wing woke is what you are. That's and we're discussing our expectation of government. 
And the reason, too, that I think that this is this is so inside of us is we see so many squish bomb Christians just going, hey, whatever. It's America's never been Mayberry as if Christianity and its pervasive influence hasn't done anything good for both Christians and non-Christians. If we don't recognize historically that America it has had such an impact on churches around the globe. Why? Because the environment was right for Christian churches to flourish. And we love that. And we would we would prefer that doesn't go. And we're just seeing people go, adios. We're just we're just gonna leave the arena. It's gonna be a naked public square. We're not gonna even talk about these issues because it's never been Mayberry. That's basically what Russell Moore said. And we just go, (laughs) and we might be inclined then to go looking for something muscular, something that flexes and goes, hey, knock it off. And if you don't, (laughs) and various implications of what that might look like. I feel that. I get that. And I think that we are right, though, to watch out for the extremes. We, I don't think that we should just lay down our worldview and say, oh, well, it was nice while it lasted. Because I, I don't think that's being courageous in a time that demands it. It's just, it's just I, I think it's wimpy is what it is. And I think all of these pastors who capitulate who who just minimize true teachings, clear, obvious teachings of the Bible and about the Bible itself. Uh, they're just, they're cowards. They're wimps. They're sissy preachers. They're, they're, they're capitulators. We don't want to be that. But, and I'm not saying this, I'm just saying this is the other side of it. You're an evangelical Christian. You have firearms. Is it time to pick them up and wield them? That this is this is this is the range. Where are you at in the spectrum? And I think if we're all being intellectually honest at this point, the answer is well, I'm trying to figure that out. And I think everybody is, even those who are potentially studying this issue pretty intensely right now. It is so vast and big and historically complex. And we struggle with presentism, not remembering, oh, yeah, those guys who wrote that in the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Oh, the Westminster Confession, when it talked about general equity application of Old Testament law. Oh, I, I forgot they lived in that time. I think that we should all be willing to say, I'm not sure where I'm at in the spectrum. So let's try to figure this out together as opposed to, I got it. And if you disagree, we're, bah. I always thought you were liberal anyway. I feel it. I feel the pull. I understand the desire for something more muscular. But what does that look like? We're Christians. We're not politicians and we're not Fox News hosts. What does that look like? Jimmy, you were saying what you expect of your politician that claims to be a Christian is what? To act like a Christian. Amen. If you are. A politician and you claim to be that or you claim to be a Christian, then I think you should have a Christian worldview and make decisions from that worldview. Question. Yes. If you met an individual who ran a corporation, one of the big ones, Tesla, Microsoft, whatever, big one, mm-hmm. Procter and Gamble. And the individual said, well, I'm a Christian. You would have the right as a fellow Christian to say, and do you lead Christianly? Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. And then what would you say to them? You would say, start acting, repent, oh, yeah, yeah, act Christianly. Would you work to kick them out of office so that they can't lead Procter & Gamble? Mm, I don't know. I mean, probably not. I didn't know. Any, any more than you're going to try to kick a Hollywood producer from making filthy movies. Why? Because you, you as a Christian can speak to another Christian and say, hey, you're not ruling righteously. But do we get to say, therefore, we as Christians are going to work to overthrow? And what does that look like? Have we not seen monarchies overthrown? Have we not seen bloody wars that go on 
for decades? Have we not seen one Mary pitted against another Mary? Have we not seen the house of Tudor, the Catholic, Protestant, Protestant, Catholic, back and forth it goes. What do we expect from them? How far does that go? Now, some are saying it goes all the way. Okay, there's then then way over on the left, you got Russell D. Moore. Where are you? Where are you in this? I hope, if nothing else, from the lingering on this subject, if nothing else, we see this and go, okay, got to think it through. And, and I might encourage my dear brothers and sisters who are having these conversations, please be slow to say, I've got it sorted. I got it figured out. I know what this looks like. The reason there's so much acrimony on the subject matter is because it's a big deal. It's a big subject. And I don't think anybody has it figured out. I, I think I've got things pretty sorted in my brain on a very rudimentary level. But when you start getting into questions about government structures and how does the Bible inform that, that, that gets way more complicated. And I understand the compelling nature of the statement, Jesus is sovereign over all. Therefore, he's sovereign over the United States government. All right. Well, he's also sovereign over the Pakistani government, too, and Hollywood and the education system and the Department of Justice and any other realm. Business, he's, he's sovereign over that. Yep. What does that look like? That's what we're debating right now. That, I think, is the fine point on this. And for any of us to say, this is exactly what it should look like. Here's my treatise on this subject. I've got it sorted. And if you don't adhere to it and buy it, well, then I guess you're just not as biblical or conservative as I am or vice versa, or you're not as liberal as I am whatever side you are on this thing. And because there is going to be such a broad spectrum and because there's so many, but what about this? What if this happened? And what about that scenario? That it is going to cause us to have disagreements on these things. And I am not suggesting surrender. I'm not suggesting we just pack up our Christian worldview and keep it inside of our homes and churches. No, we're salt and light. We bring it out there. The question is how? And right now there's a push for a much more muscular Christianity. Have you figured it out? As you go about the business of list, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, I haven't really said where I stand on the issue. To a degree I have because I couldn't avoid it in an hour long conversation. But I, I've, I've tried to keep it to myself. Uh, now, someday I'll talk about it when I know what I know <laughs> to a limited degree. I can tell you how I understand Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, Titus 3. I, I, I can tell you about realms of jurisdictional authority and what I believe that that looks like. Do I have every detail figured out? Not a chance. Not a chance. And nobody, nobody's going to. And that's why you've seen so many bloody wars historically over this very issue. So if you're listening to it, take it in, think it through. Don't just accept it. And if you're preaching it, do it, extending it with a hand that says, this is kind of what I'm currently thinking, but we've got a ways to go. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>